Welcome to Point Two Law Review. I'm John Brandt. And I'm Carson Messersmith. And we're here the week of October 31st. It was spooky. To November 3rd, 2023. But again, yeah, not, not that week. And again, it's it's not on you. It's on me. But That's here okay. we are. You know what? It's it's the time of the year. We just can't find a rhythm. It's a time, spooky time seasons. changed. Time changed. Yeah, times are changing. Times it's, they are changing. <laughs> they are. As one uh, Mr. Robert Zimmerman <laughs> yeah. from uh, M- Minnesota said, do you know who that is? No. Oh, it's Bob Dylan. Ah. That okay? I didn't realize that that was Bob. I mean, I knew Bob Dylan, but I didn't sure. realize that. Yeah, no, of course. I'm, with my quote, wow, I, I live aficionado. To confuse you. Look at this. I t- <laughs> talk about facts. See, and this is why you know, as as I know, but most of listeners maybe don't. You know, Mr. Brandt is the trivia oh, king. Thank so you. This I, is, he's pulling this one out of the top drawer. <laughs> and you know, should anyone ever want to do you know some sort of virtual trivial Ooh, pursuit, you know, this gentleman's not, always up for let, it. Okay, we're gonna cut that part out. That that we rarely cut things out but that's gonna get cut oh out. although i am i did just pick up a ten dollar gift card after winning a pub quiz for game of thrones wow so there's do you want to own that one yeah a game of thrones pub quiz i i you take that on all. the chin you watched it and you remembered it here's all. here's what my wife and i did we saw that this pub quiz was happening two months in advance we'd never seen a game of thrones we watched all the game just binge watched purely for the trivia (laughs) that is sick and disgusting that is terrible (laughs) we want to do good at this trivia and we earned that ten dollar gift card i can't wait until there's a nickelback trivia day coming up and you just have to sit and listen to all of that beautiful early 2000s pop music excuse me mr nickelback what's your favorite color Okay, ex parte summary. Uh, let's start with whatever you have, Carson. Yes, yeah, so starting with Boone River LLC and 11T uh, verse multiple parties, and this is a supplemental opinion. This is State v. Simmons, and I'm going to call it um, on probation or not. All right, in re interest of Sarah P. Appeal. Temporary placement. All right, there we go. I think we have three from the Nebraska Supreme Court. You got the first one, which sounds like a quick supplemental. Oh, it's an opinion. absolute doozy. All so right. we start out with a supplemental opinion uh, from the Boone River LLC in 11T, a uh, case that we had a few months ago, I believe now. Um, and so this case uh, comes on before. Uh, the Supreme Court on a motion for rehearing, which is denied. Uh, they overrule that motion, but then they modify the opinion, and the the one-page brief paragraph that they modify is essentially just to distinguish uh, the claim preclusion issue uh, that was raised within the original opinion. Uh, not a ton of law to even grab uh, from there, because it's basically just saying this is a little bit extra about why is, why this is distinguishable. Um, so they changed that one paragraph in the original opinion, and that's it. Okay, this is State v. Simmons. Now, this one's interesting. It, it's uh, reversed and vacated and remanded for further proceedings in a criminal case. So, here's here's the situation here. You have a defendant here who was charged with uh, possession of uh, a controlled substance. Now, the situation arising or that arose regarding this criminal possession and led to the law enforcement contact was a probation search. So, the... Um, probation officers and law enforcement went to this person's house and searched pursuant to a probation search and found this uh, contraband. And the situation was this. This is the posture that's important. Uh, Defendant was on probation. Defendant was 
received a motion to revoke probation, and then the probationary period expired while they were waiting for the hearing on that motion to revoke probation. So the probation was expired. However, the judge said when they were uh, setting the date for this probationary revocation hearing, they said, hey, remember you're on probation. And the defendant acknowledged, yes, I remember. However, they were out of time. So they were she, uh, the defendant was off probation. And then that's when these law enforcement officers, under the color and authority of being on probation, came to this defendant's house and said, we're going to search everything. And so this was after the original probation term was expired. And the only thing there was the judge from the bench saying, hey, remember, you're on probation or something to the effect of that. So. Uh, since the defendant here was not on probation and uh, the probation officer showed up and they, he, I guess, maybe thought he might still be on probation, they said, hey, we're going to look around. And they gave consent to search. The defendant did and said, we're going to, um, you can go ahead and search. Obviously, you're uh, probation officers and you can come and, and take a look at everything. And then they found the methamphetamine or, or whatever the controlled substance was. Now, the suppression dealt with a, uh, was the defendant on probation and B, was that a valid consent to search? Was it, uh, you know, knowing involuntary or not? Was it free? Uh, when you have these folks coming to your place and saying that they're under the authority of probation to search your, uh, possessions, um, even though they don't or may not, uh, is that consent valid? So the district court said, well, they were on probation and, uh, they get consent to search comes on up to the Nebraska Supreme Court. Nebraska Supreme Court says, uh, actually, no, the defendant here was not on probation. Therefore, the probation officers had no authority um, to, uh, you know, effectuate that uh, that search. And any consent that they were given by the defendant was not knowingly or free and voluntary. So any consent there doesn't apply. So his submit, the defendant's submission to the protection or show of authority is coerced in that situation because there wasn't really on, uh, the, the defendant here wasn't really on probation and it was reversed and vacated. So I think this does, we had a couple weeks ago, we had a, a consent case uh, with law enforcement right there and what goes into a valid consent. I think this clarifies some things there too. So if you have an issue with consent, or this particular issue where the defendant is maybe, maybe not on probation. You might want to look at those dates to see uh, whether the defendant's on probation because you might have a suppressible issue there, especially with this case. So that is State v. Simmons. Okay, another handy opinion clarifying a prior opinion. That's yeah, always helpful. Hey, fun. All right, so the next case we come to is NRA Interest of Sarah P., and this is an appeal from the Juvenile Court of Sarpy County. And the basis of this appeal is that Sarah was uh, sent home with her mother uh, from an um, original uh, screening with juvenile probation with an order for electronic monitoring. Two days after the electronic monitoring, um, it was or after two days after the initial screening in which uh, the electronic monitoring um, at the ho home was ordered, Sarah became non-compliant with her electronic monitoring. Um, and a month later, she was ordered to staff secure detention. And so she uh, appeals both of the orders, the order from the electronic monitoring and then the order from uh, staff secure detention. And basically what happened uh, or the issue with the staff secure um, detention was the fact that uh, she was placed in a 
uh, temporary juvenile detention center uh, prior uh, to uh, having a spot opening up at Boys Town. And so basically, uh, she's ordered to um, this higher level of placement, um, but Boys Town doesn't have an open spot, and so uh, she's held at a temporary facility, and that's where this appeal is coming from. And the entire analysis of this case uh, is a question of appellate jurisdiction and if this was a final appealable order. And so the Supreme Court goes through what equates to a final appealable order. And here, uh, the Supreme Court uh, finds that this is uh, not a case that is a final appealable order. It is uh, not a situation that is affecting a uh, substantial right, and um, that the orders in continuing the electronic monitoring and the temporary detention um, basically were not so substantive as uh, to provide a chance uh, for review. They, they go into specifically, again, that substantial right piece, um, basically with all of these situations being uh, temporary. Um, here she was, um, again, ordered to have the electronic monitoring. That was subject to periodic review. Um, and then she was... Um, ordered to be in this temporary placement, which again was a temporary placement, and they found that since she had uh, was statutorily entitled to adjudication within that six months, they could not say that uh, the temporary placement and the temporary change of facility and electronic monitoring uh, were of affecting a substantial right to the point of being able um, to appear or to appeal. And so, uh, again, since the detention was temporary and was anticipated to be a short period of time prior to Boys Town, um, there was not uh, the ability on the basis of these facts uh, to appeal. And so, again, one of those cases where if you have a, uh, a juvenile offender, a juvenile 3B, key, 3B case, and you're wondering um, about appellate jurisdiction or can I do something or can I not do something as far as appealing from a temporary placement order or a temporary order from the court for something like electronic monitoring, uh, this sheds this opinion sheds some light on that day-to-day uh, -day management of those cases. And I'm sorry for quizzing you, but my understanding of that light now would be that those are not appealable. Basically, basically yeah. I mean, it sounds like if it's any kind of temporary placement, it's not going to be appealable if it's a more permanent placement or a more permanent restriction. And I think, and that's the other big thing here, probably if there isn't already a statutory carve out for, right. again, a speedy adjudication or periodic review or something like that where the court's already going to have to look at it again, it's not going to be a final appealable order, which kind of makes sense because there's we're at such a time where you're almost always in that temporary detention. If you could appeal from every temporary detention, our Court yeah. of Appeals and Supreme Court would just be inundated with appeals from living at those temporary living facilities. So we got to figure out where temporary is. Yeah, what is temporary and right. what's permanent. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's it for Nebraska Supreme Court? I think that's it. All right. So we'll start off with the Court of Appeals, and we're back to you. And we're right back to me. So we jump in with State versus Hernandez Cisneros. Um, and this is an appeal from the uh, District Court of Scotts Bluff County. And the big issue here 
is uh, the denial of a motion to suppress related to a search of a vehicle during a uh, traffic stop. And the big issue of this traffic stop was uh, if the consent was voluntary because Mr. Cisneros, uh, Hernandez Cisneros, did not speak English and the communication was uh, happening via Google Translate. And so basically what happens here is a gearing police officer performs a traffic stop based on a burned out uh, driver's side headlight. He approaches the vehicle. He realizes pretty quickly that Mr. Hernandez does not speak English. And so he takes him back to his vehicle. And essentially the officer is typing uh, what he wants Mr. Hernandez to uh, see in English and having it converted to Spanish. And then the reverse is happening with Mr. Hernandez typing into his own phone Spanish and it converting into English and they have a conversation this way and basically they're going through you know where were you headed where why were you going there normal uh, questions and then basically it comes to a time when the officer asks whether he can search the vehicle and Hernandez read the translation and then the officer asked see or no and Hernandez uh, responded see meaning yes and so then the vehicle search happens at that point in time. Uh, there was over a pound of methamphetamines found, a handgun, um, and then a combination lock bag with a bunch of smaller designer baggies uh, with dollar signs inside of them. Um, and so he is charged with um, possession of uh, methamphetamine with intent to distribute, not affixing a uh, or affixing a uh, drug stamp, and then carrying a concealed weapon. Uh, and so. Here, again, the big issue is the search and whether or not that was voluntary. The district court ruled uh, that Mr. Hernandez knew what was being asked, responded affirmatively, and so therefore uh, the search could occur. And so the, the Court of Appeals, uh, again, goes back and deals with uh, primarily this big search issue. Um, there is a question regarding uh, Google Translate's actual accuracy and reliability and whether that evidence could be uh, relied on, but none of that was objected to at the time of trial, so that was waived. Um, and they basically say, you know, we're, we're not dealing with that issue here because it was allowed in at the time, um, and so that was not preserved. So then the big issue is whether or not it was voluntary and whether or not it was knowing uh, consent. And so essentially here they're saying that um, just because, and, and that's kind of the interesting law chunk here, is that um, Hernandez is arguing that consent can never be found when it is obtained wholly or in part via a translation app. And so the Court of Appeals refuses that and basically says that uh, whether or not consent is valid or not depends on the totality of the circumstances in each situation. You have to look at it overall um, and consider whether or not it appears that it was uh, consensual or not. And here, when viewing all the circumstances going back and forth with uh, the app and both parties being able to uh, you know, talk to each other with that, they did find that this was um, valid consent and therefore that the search could happen. And so then, uh, dealing with sufficiency of the evidence, all those were pretty summarily dealt with as far as uh, finding the baggies, the intent to distribute, all those pieces. Um, same thing with, again, with the carrying the concealed weapon. He then arg also argued um, that it was an excessive sentence, but here uh, the, the sentence was adequately considered as far as the sentencing guidelines, and then also is within the statutory range, and therefore the Supreme Court affirmed. Uh, court of Appeals. Or Court of Appeals. Uh, no, that's fine. Uh, State of Nebraska versus, uh, on behalf of Christina W. versus Taribo G. and Amanda W. 
the Appleys here. This is a uh, wild case out of Hall County. Background. Um, 1996, the uh, defendant here, father, uh, well, paternity established father, uh, defaulted on a paternity action back in 1996 and child support was ordered. In 1999, uh, they found some DNA and said that uh, you're, you're not a match, uh, you're not the father through the DNA testing. From 1999 until 2019, nothing happened. And the child apparently grew up. And the child is uh, older and of the majority age. And then in 2019, a stipulation occurred between the mother and the uh, you know, adjudicated father. And they said that uh, it's no longer the father is no longer the child's parent, so they disestablished paternity, and they didn't do in exchange for the child support arrearage to stay, and so that's set there in 2019. That was an agreement, and then in 2022 there was a motion to vacate the paternity uh, uh, that was established back in 1996 and to vacate the arrearages on the child support. So 2022 was when that motion to vacate was happened. Again, I remind you, the uh, order was uh, of paternity and child support was established back in 1996. So there was some time in between those two things. And the uh, other side and the state simply go, well, you know, you're kind of out of time uh, on these things. You're out of time to file this uh, certain action. And um, the appellant here says, yes, um, but I want to proceed under the independent equity jurisdiction because this isn't fair. Uh, This isn't what we need to do. There's some good discussion here about judicial estoppel and uh, what the court is not allowed to do because of the previous stipulation to disestablish the paternity and to keep the arrears. Um, So that stipulation was kind of key Uh, for judicial estoppel purposes when you're going to use the equity jurisdiction of the court. Um, So the denial of the equitable change and equitable remedy to vacate the previous paternity action and to dismiss the arrearage, the denial of that by the Hall County District Court was affirmed here by the Court of Appeals. And uh, there's a good discussion there, again, of equity jurisdiction and judicial estoppel. And if you like weird stories, uh, check that one out. That is a wild story. It is wild. 96 wasn't that long ago. (laughs) All right. So Foster versus Foster. This is an appeal from a dissolution of marriage in the district court of Saunders County. And the two issues on appeal are a failure to restore the appellant's name to her maiden name and then the classification of certain assets within the marital estate. And so the first issue is the failure to uh, restore the maiden name. And uh, here the district court failed to restore the maiden name uh, because uh, it had not um, originally been uh, pled, but here it was not objected to uh, by either party. Um, And even the opposing party here was fine with the restoration of uh, the name. And so here the Court of Appeals says that the court shall grant such request except for good cause shown. Um, and so this, in this case, even though the complaint did not specifically request the restoration of the maiden name, um, her prayer for relief uh, did essentially by saying other further relief as the court deems just and equitable. And so here um, the parties had agreed to it uh, and the Court of Appeals found that under the circumstances, the request for restoration should have been granted. Um, and they found that that was an abuse of discretion not to. Um, and so therefore they um, did 
uh, change her name um, and reversed on those grounds. And then the Court of Appeals also found that a couple of pieces of property uh, were marital property, and so therefore they changed the uh, equitable calculation uh, for the division of property um, and modified that to uh, reflect the property that was marital and non-marital. And so, again, if you want to see a little bit of discussion applying uh, mostly uh, facts, but again, a little bit of the law to the facts, uh, this is another one of those cases um, for a divorce and uh, for marital property. Civil paternity action. This is Bradshaw v. Frazier. The couple cohabitated prior to the child's birth in 2018. Uh, they separated in 2021 and were getting along relatively well. And then mother uh, found out that father was dating someone else and ceased visits. So that leads to some paternity actions and requests for parenting time in the district court. And the um, matter was pending for a while and it was dismissed on a procedural matter. They had, this is kind of a very fact heavy opinion, but they had a hearing scheduled and then in between when the uh, hearing was scheduled and this motion was filed, the matter was set to automatically dismiss it automatically dismissed like three days before the hearing or something like that. So it was a procedural issue that the matter was dismissed. The day after that matter was dismissed, mom flies to Nevada and files an emergency custody action and claims abandonment of the child in Nevada on the same day. So they it flies to Nevada and, and does this thing uh, where she tries to claim that it's a Nevada child and the father abandoned even though there's other things not necessarily pending but just recently dismissed in the state of Nebraska so the in Nebraska there was a motion to reinstate this case that we had that was dismissed on the procedural procedural matter good cause was shown and that was granted so if you have something that was dismissed procedurally and you need to show good cause this might be something to look at to try and find uh, some good cause here so they go through and they have this procedural case and the matter was uh, in Nevada was tabled for this, this uh, the decisions here in district court in Nebraska. And um, the court ultimately, well, the court found the mom in contempt for what she did. Um, or I believe that's right. No, maybe not necessarily contempt, but vocalized discomfort with uh, the kind of procedural shenanigans that that mom was doing for flying to Nevada and filing on the same day. And uh, in the case here, she requested to move to Nevada. That was part of what she wanted to do. So those out-of-state factors may have applied. The court applied the Farnsworth factors, but those are for a marriage. This is a paternity case. So you don't look at the Farnsworth factors. You just look at the custody and the best interests. And that was uh, something that the district court did err on, but ultimately the Court of Appeals found that the district court did not err in awarding custody to a father and um, parenting time to mother. There's also some judicial disqualification standards that are discussed because mom tried to disqualify the uh, court, the judge of that court, because of some comments that were made um, after they got back from Nevada. And um, since Basically, since the mom didn't bring them up prior to trial, but only brought them up after the result, um, she didn't. She lost her ability to raise those issues um, with the district court, and the district court's decision here was affirmed. Okay, next opinion we come to is State versus Nagel, and this is an appeal from the district court of Hall County based on a plea 
based conviction uh, to a couple of uh, counts, uh, possession of a deadly weapon by a prohibited person, um, attempted second-degree murder and unlawful discharge of a firearm, um, and the district court had sentenced Nagel to 10 to 30 years with credit for two days in the first case and 30 to 50 years um, on each of the charges in the second case. And then the court ordered that the 30 to 50 years would run concurrently to each other, but consecutively to the 10 to 30 years. And basically the issue on appeal here is that there was a plea agreement in both cases where the state had given a sentencing recommendation uh, that it would recommend that Nagel should receive concurrent sentences uh, as to all charges. But with respect to the length of the sentence, the state agreed to recommend that Nagel be ordered to serve no more than 22 years before he became eligible for parole. And here, and again, based on uh, my reading above, the, the district court does not follow the sentencing recommendation, uh, does sentence uh, consecutively rather than concurrently. And so that's essentially uh, the basis for appeal. Uh, but here the um, district court had, again, said that uh, it would consider the agreement, but that it would be free to enter se any sentence that the court, that the court believed was appropriate. Uh, the defendant had stated that he understood that. The court then had reiterated that you understand the plea agreement. Um, the sentencing part was not binding on the court. And again, the defendant had said that he had understood. Um, and so here, again, uh, as we go through with all these sentencing cases, the court had considered uh, the appropriate factors. The court had also been within the statutory ranges. And then even maybe more importantly here, it is argued on appeal that the uh, state had not followed the sentencing recommendations of the parties and that the state had breached the plea agreement. And there's a couple of things that I just want to note from this opinion because I don't know that I've seen them a ton before. And first is that the Court of Appeals says that if you want to preserve a uh, breach of a plea agreement, you must object at the time of hearing. So you must object when uh, the state is giving uh, their sentencing recommendations. Otherwise, you do not preserve that, and it is only um, on appeal uh, for plain error. And then secondly, in order to find that a party breaches the plea agreement, um, it must find that it violated an express term of the agreement or acted in a manner sp not specifically prohibited by the agreement, but still incompatible with the explicit promises made therein. And so, again, here they don't find plain error because the state uh, did not argue for more than 22 years. They argued for the top end to be super high, uh, but they did recommend that the bottom uh, number um, be 22 years on the two sentences. And so they found that even though um, they had, uh, again, asked for a higher number on the top end, the defendant could have been eligible uh, with good time credit had he been sentenced to the 22 years to have been eligible for parole substantially earlier than even the 22 uh, years. And so, um, again, the, the plea agreement here did not place any restrictions on what the state could rec recommend on the upper limit, and so that wasn't an express uh, breach. But again, if you have an issue with a plea agreement, you believe that uh, the opposing party is breaking that plea agreement, you have to object at the time of sentencing in order to preserve that. And then we get some good law chunks on uh, when a party has uh, breached a plea agreement at the time of sentencing. In re interest of Zoe W, the state of Nebraska versus Casey W. Uh, this is a termination of parental rights case from juvenile court. Um, the child's parental rights, Casey's child's parental rights were terminated by the county court 
and then this was appealed. Um, the facts are voluminous. They're, it's a fact-heavy case. These ju uh, juvenile cases always are. Uh, they had the 15 out of 22. And then uh, for the 22 last months, now the question here is whether it's in the best interest of the child uh, to terminate the parental rights. And so um, a key here that I think is important and why the Court of Appeals ended up maybe reversing is it says, whereas statutory grounds are based on a parent's past conduct, the best interest inquiry focuses on the future well-being of the child. The second hurdle is a high one for the state since a parent's right to raise his or her child is constitutionally protected. So you got to look forward and say, uh, is this um, parent in a position to, uh, to, to parent the child presently as we are now, not necessarily what happened um, more than 15 out of 22 months ago. And the child had been out of home for um, nearly 16 months um, when the uh, item, when the um, petition to terminate was filed. And so they, that was clearly satisfied, but it did fail on the best interest and unfitness prong of that termination. So it was reverse and remanded for further proceedings. And um, I don't know what's going on now uh, in that case, but uh, if you have a juvenile uh, appellate case, you know, you, you might get some good chunks out of here to try and show best interest if you're a parent's attorney or uh, negate those if you're on the other side. So that's an interesting case to take a look at if you have a juvenile termination. Is that it? I think that's it. All right. Well, hey. Well, you know the great part about us doing these not on Friday? No. We don't do any kind of Nebraska football predictions. Oh, yeah. Which, <laughs> we've already processed which is a good thing. Grief. Yeah, yeah. We've we've dealt with. It's the hope that kills you. And, and Nebraska football, it, it truly is that. So. Oh, I think it's very hopeful. I have, I have reasons. Well, we also don't get to talk about how great the volleyball team is. Oh, my goodness. I think, did we? That would have been two weeks ago now. Yeah, at least that Wisconsin game. Yeah, beat Wisconsin, came back and beat Penn State, Penn State basically a week ago. Sets. Yeah, because yeah, they started down two sets yep. and then and uh, beat, yeah, one and five. It was amazing. The craziest thing about that is, and you know, maybe I'm raising the ticket price on myself, but mm -hmm. that has got to be the hottest ticket in the Midwest. I mean, I've I've looked at the next couple of games, like I got I to get down, I got to see see the girls play. My goodness, you could go to every game. Every men's football game combined, <laughs> you know, you could pull it all minus the Michigan game for one ticket to volleyball. That is a hot ticket. If you've got those tickets, guard them under lock and key. It's amazing what a winning record and like a historically, you know, amazing institution. Yeah, people love to watch. Yeah. People love a winner. People love a winner. People love a, and it's good sport. Like it's it's it's, it's fun it's to watch. Beautiful. A ton of action. Yeah. Yes, and we play it in an interesting way. This yeah. team is yeah. And that they're doing a lot of cool things, but yeah, it is nice to see them be successful. There's some people you could talk to, maybe. I think you might get some tickets. Yeah, I could probably get an in somewhere. Yeah, and I mean, the good part is then I could come back. All I, all I truly want. That's why I need to get down to a football game. Is you know, I want a Fairbury hot dog, and then we could do a review <laughs> on on here about you know where a Fairbury hot dog stacks up. In the spirit of shooting your shot, um, I got to tell you, you know, Taylor Swift. If you have Husker volleyball tickets, you can email us at point two law review at gmail.com and we'll see if Carson will take you. Yeah. I would love the opportunity to show you to a Nebraska Husker volleyball game. Look at us go. Look at us. That's wonderful. Point two law review brought to you by Anderson Klein, Brewster and Brandt offices in Kearney, Holdridge and Minden. Um, go back to episode one for the disclaimer. Anything else? I don't think so. All right. I'm John Brandt. Have a great week. Thanks everybody.